Well, welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study, and tonight we are, God willing, going to finish Isaiah chapter 49. Let's open with a word of prayer and get right into the study. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before our study to give you praise, Lord, and to thank you for your loving kindness and your loving mercy that of the billions of people on this planet that you have granted that we have a desire to read your scriptures, to read these ancient texts from the ancient prophets, and to desire wholeheartedly to understand your will. Father, we pray that you'll bless our desire, that you'll fulfill our desire for understanding, and that you'll give us wisdom, Father. We praise you, we thank you, we thank you for Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name that you'll bless our study this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are, as I said, planning to finish Isaiah chapter 49, and I just want to start where we, we left off last week, and uh, that was in the New Testament, and we had quoted uh, 2 Corinthians 6 in answer to the question about the role of the Christian church uh, in, in, the, in the prophecies. And at the end of the study, there was a question around, uh, from Sister Christie, I believe it was, uh, around uh, Daniel chapter 12, and the prophecy regarding the 1290 days and the 1335 days. And I said that we would address it this week. Unfortunately, both Pastor Murray and myself are traveling this week. So we're going to, God willing, address that next week. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to participate in the live chat this evening. Uh, this is gonna be a recorded message and, and we'll publish it. And then I hope to join the live chat. Um, and Pastor Murray, I don't think we'll be able to join the live chat. So let's get into the study. Um, we had quoted last week, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, and he says, For he says, this is uh, Paul quoting Isaiah, For he said, I have heard you, speaking to Christ, I have heard you in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And he was actually quoting Isaiah chapter uh, 49 <clears throat> and in Isaiah chapter 49 we see here verse 8 thus says the Lord in an acceptable time I have heard you and in a day of salvation have I helped you and I will preserve you and give you that is Christ for a covenant of the people that is Israel to establish the earth and that's what this is all about establishing the earth setting the earth right putting the earth in a state of righteousness which it is not in unless God's will is done on the earth. And God's will on the earth is that Israel be established as the head nation. So he'll be given, Christ will be given as a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. So Israel is, is Christ's heritage and he's going to inherit Israel, but all of Israel's heritages are desolate and so it, it's all about setting the earth right and reversing this desolation. This also is um, an allusion to Isaiah 61 verse 2, where he says he's come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So he, that when, when uh, Christ began his ministry, he quoted this to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. So when Christ returns, it's not just about saving his people, it's also about unleashing his vengeance. It's the day of God's vengeance to comfort all that mourn. That is to comfort Israel. 
as we know from Revelation chapter 1, all the kindreds of the earth will wail. They are going to mourn when Christ returns, but his people, those that pierced him, are going to acknowledge him and cry out in, in victory and, and, and joy at his return. So we got up to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 12 last time. We'll then continue now in verse 13, where here we see the, the scripture telling us to uh, sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth. This is a time of great rejoicing. And so sing, you heavens, and sing, earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. So all of this devastation, there's going to be tremendous warfare, tremendous slaughter, tremendous uh, sadness and grief, but now it's over. So sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, that is the mountains of Israel, because he's, the, the, the gospel is, the, the, is pronounced by, by him who goes up and down the mountains of Israel. Uh, break forth into singing, O mountains. Why? Why is this a time of great joy? For the Lord has comforted who? Who has he comforted? His people. This is what this is all about. That God is now moving and acting to comfort Israel. And he will have mercy upon his afflicted. So there are a people that belong to God, that have been afflicted, and now God is having mercy upon them, and he's comforting them. And it's, it's, it's all foretold. It's a, it's a, it's a pattern that uh, has to be fulfilled. And so here we have God comforting his people and having mercy upon his afflicted. Now, while he's doing this, the prophet writes that Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. And this is why uh, Christ said to, to the church, do not be deceived. It is going to appear as if God has forsaken Zion. It's going to appear as if he's with the people of the desert. And the people of the desert are going to be calling and saying, come to the desert, Christ has returned. But it's not true. We know Christ has returned when we see the signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, the signs that are outside of man's control, and we know that Christ is returning with the mission and purpose of comforting his people and putting down the enemies of his people. But even Zion has lost hope. And Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. And, and, in, and we'll get there shortly, but in chapter 62, God says, you shall no more be termed forsaken. So, so this is a time of great distress when Zion is, is believed that they are forgotten. There's no hope for them. They're being slaughtered. They're being taken captive. Uh, but when Christ returns, this is a time when it's over. No more will they ever be called forsaken. But that's what they'll be called. You have no God, God has forsaken you, God has forgotten you. They themselves will believe it. And now God is saying, no more shall you be termed forsaken, neither shall your land any more be termed desolate. So there's going to be great warfare on the land, and the people who are coming in don't care about the land. They'll make righteous arguments that the land belongs to them and they should have the land, but they really don't care about it. And they're, they're going to make the land desolate. And God says, you know what? This land will never be called desolate again. But you shall be called 
Hepziba, that is the delightful one, the, the, the desired one, and your land, Beulah, that is married, for the Lord delights in you, that's why you'll be called Hepziba, and your land shall be married. So Christ is going to marry Jerusalem. And so this, this is the, he's, he's marrying the church, he's marrying his people, he's marrying Jerusalem. All of this will be conflated and will converge at a particular point in time. And, and now in Jeremiah, <clears throat> we, we read this. So, so we have to understand why is, all, why is there this pattern where the land will be desolate, the people will be desolate, uh, and yet at the same time they'll be restored. In Jeremiah, we read this last week, God says in verse 11 of chapter 30, For I am with you, I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. This is all about salvation. And God is acting to save his people. So God is telling you, hey, I know there was confusion. It looked like I had forsaken you. I haven't. I'm with you. And I'm going to save you. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you. So it is God who has scattered Judah. It is God who has scattered Israel to all these nations. And God now is going to punish these nations for the license that they've taken. They, they've, they've, they're out of control. They've gone way beyond any form of reasonableness. And God now is going to make a full end of those nations where he has scattered them in his vengeance. Yet, while he's making a full end of all these nations, he says, yet will I not make a full end of you. But I will correct you in measure. So, so I won't make a full end of you, but you will be corrected. But I will correct you in measure and will not leave you altogether unpunished. So there is a punishment that Israel and Judah have to experience. Why? Because God is faithful. And God made this, they, they agreed to this covenant, this binding agreement, which says, if you act faithfully, this is how you'll be blessed. If you act unfaithfully, this is how you'll be punished. And so God would not be God if he did not keep his word. And so that's why he will correct them in measure and, and not altogether because he's made a promise to Abraham and he's going to fulfill that promise to Abraham. So I will correct you in measure and will not leave you altogether unpunished. So there will be mercy, but you also have to be punished. And what does that punishment look like? We know what it looks like from the prophet Zechariah. We, there are many, many prophecies, but let's just look at Zechariah's prophecy, where he says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and your spoil, that is his people, Judah, your spoil shall be divided in the middle of you. So this is, this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies, and there are going to be a people that are going to come into Jerusalem, a desert people, that are going to come into Jerusalem and they're going to have an ideology that says that all of the wealth in Jerusalem is theirs that this is their spoil this this is their their uh, spoil of war their bounty that they can come in and take it and they can then divide it and so I don't think we have to use much imagination now to figure out which nations surround Israel uh, what is their ideology and does that ideology have a doctrine that says that whatever belongs to the infidel, that in, in, in battle they can take it and then divide it among, amongst themselves. So the day of the Lord comes, and your spoil shall be divided in the midst of you, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. And again, we have the prophecy in Luke that says Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. And so it is, this is God's doing. It's his strange work 
that we have to understand that this is how God is fulfilling the terms and conditions of the covenant. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And when this happens, he says, this is going to be the fate of Jerusalem before he returns, and the city shall be taken. So they're going to come a people that say, this city is ours. We have the right to this city. And the houses rifled. And so we have a right to take all of the wealth out of these houses. And the women ravished. And so there's some sort of ideology that they believe their God, this is a fringe benefit of serving their God, that the fringe benefit is they can go in and ravish the women. And so this is, this is what's going to happen. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. So God's people are going to be enslaved. So again, these people have an ideology that says that they can make slaves of their captors, uh, of their captives. And so Jerusalem will be taken captive. These people will be uh, enslaved and then shipped all over the world. And the, but however, the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So they have an ideology that says they must go in and wipe out every last Jew. That the, their, their ideology says the end will not come until they destroy all the Jews. And so that's what their doctrine, that's what their, their God instructs them to do. And yet God is allowing, the, the true God is allowing this to happen, but he, they can only go so far and no further. Although their desire is to completely destroy the people, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that he will cut this time short and that unless these days were shortened, no flesh would be saved alive. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Well, these are the elect. And when he says no flesh would be saved alive, he means the elect's flesh. That these people have such a genocidal hatred for the elect that if God didn't intervene, they would see to it that not one soul of the elect would be left. So, you know, I used to read that Matthew 24 thinking it was about nuclear war and, and no flesh at all on the planet would be left. But that's not what it's saying. There, there would be people left on the planet, but they would all be uh, evil people. And the flesh that would be gone would be God's elect, God's chosen people. And that's what Satan wants so that God cannot fulfill his promises and Satan's desire is to be like the Most High. So he wants his flesh, his puppets on the earth, and he wants to destroy God's people. At that time, so when the day of the Lord, this is what immediately precedes the, the Christ's coming. At that time, then shall the Lord go forth. This is again paralleling, paralleling Matthew 24 that says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So here's the shortening. At that time shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. So all these nations that hate uh, Judah, God is going to then fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So that's, this is the punishment that, that God's people have to endure. But it, he says um, he will not make a full end of them. So although the enemy's desire is to make a full end of them, it's God that's allowing it, but he's not going to allow a full end. Back to Isaiah 49 and verse um, 14, <clears throat> where he says here, uh, but, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. So because of what they're experiencing, 
they just believe, wow, God is gone. God, God has forgotten us. We, we have the scriptures. The scriptures tell us that we are his people, and yet we have no hope. And the enemy has the upper hand, and the enemy is wiping us out. And yet God says, in, in answer to this um, belief that Zion uh, says that the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me, God says, can a woman forget her suckling child, her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? So, so just think about a mother's compassion for her child. Would she just forget the child? Uh, this is something that is just a biological, psychological compulsion that a mother has to look after her child. And God's, God points to that, that bond between a woman and her child to say, is that, can a woman forget her child that is, is suckling with her? And then he says, you know what? Yeah, they actually may forget. It's possible you could have a mother that somehow is dysfunctional and she forgets her child. Yet God says, will I not forget you? Because Israel is God's son. And that's what he said, go all the way back to Exodus. When, when uh, Moses was interacting with, with Pharaoh and God tells him to say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So Israel is the firstborn son of God. Back to uh, Isaiah chapter 49, he says he, he cannot forget uh, his, his child. He says, Behold, speaking to Israel, I have graven you upon the palms of my hands. Your walls, that is the walls of Jerusalem, are continually before me. That is the walls that define the city, that protect the city. Uh, he, this is, God, God does not forget. And a lot of people just think, oh yeah, Christ came, he, he, he died for Gentiles. And the scripture is making it very clear here that Israel is graven upon the palms of Christ's hands. That Christ came on a mission and he came to redeem Israel. And somehow through our maybe careless reading of the scriptures, we kicked Israel to the curb and we believe that God came to save Gentiles. And it's just not true. There is a plan for Gentiles, but there's an orderly the order, as you say, the order of operations, that God is doing things in an orderly fashion. And Israel has to be established as the head nation in whom God will be glorified. And so God came and he's graven Israel upon his hands, he says. He, and let's just quote from the, the Psalms here, Psalm 22, verse 23. You that fear the Lord, praise him. Who, who, who is it that should praise him? All of you, the seed of Jacob. God is very loyal. He's very faithful to his covenant. Israel is not faithful to the covenant, but God is very faithful to the covenant. All you seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you seed of Israel. This is, this is just, it's just repeatedly presented to us in the scriptures. That this is all about God's faithfulness to his people Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. So we have to present these scriptures to Judah. We have to present these scriptures to the house of Israel so that they understand what is happening to them and why. And that this is a call for them to repent. And, and although it appears like God has, has despised them, although it appears as if God has abhorred them, although it appears as if God has forgotten them, 
it is our message, it is our purpose, our mission to tell them, no, don't be deceived. Don't be de when God returns, he's returning to save you. This is the good news. For he has not despised the abhorred, he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the affliction, afflicted. Neither has he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. It's like uh, ancient Israel with the Egyptians and they were enslaved and they were uh, subjected to such cruel torture uh, and subjugation. And they were crying out to God and God heard. And so the same way with this second exodus, God is going to hear their cry and he's going to move to save them. Back to Isaiah 49. He says here, as he, as he now, uh, uh, Israel and, and, and Zion in particular, believe that they're forsaken. Uh, God says, I haven't forgotten you. <clears throat> you're, you're not forgotten. He says here, these people who think that they're forgotten, he says, no, you're not forgotten. Your children shall make haste. Your destroyers and they that made you waste shall leave you. So, so all of these oppressors, these powerful nations that were stomping all over God's people, they're going to have to stop. God is going to fight on behalf of his people, and, and these, these destroyers are going to leave. So he says to Israel, lift up your eyes round about, look around you, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to you. All these are, are Israel's children. All of a sudden, these people who were forsaken, who were slaughtered, who were enslaved, now their children are coming back to them. All these gather themselves together and come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you shall surely clothe you with them all as with an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. So God is promising to bring back his people to, to Israel. And, and let's just read it in Psalms again. Psalm 22. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before you. So, so all the nations are going to acknowledge that there is no God except Yahweh. There is no God except the Holy One of Israel. And it's going to be a painful and a bitter pill for many of them to swallow. But they have no choice. They will have to face reality. That the only God, the creator of the universe, is the God of Israel. The God of the Bible. And all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before you. Now that is to worship before God, but we know through Isaiah that God will be glorified in Israel. And so they will actually come, and Israel will facilitate the relationship of the nations with Yahweh. For the kingdom is the Lord's. The kingdom is the Lord's. This is why this is going to happen. People are deceived and they think the kingdom belongs to someone else and Satan certainly wants them to believe that and, and whatever proxy he puts in place, he wants them to worship that proxy uh, really because they want, he wants them to worship him, he wants to be like the Most High. But the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among nations. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he has done this. So these people that shall be born are the descendants of Israel, the children of Israel. And they're going to declare that God is the God of Israel. And so this is, this is, these are the scriptures that the apostles understood. And so when they were sitting with Christ and, and Christ told them, you've got to wait, you're going to receive power. And they came together and they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time? 
that you restore the kingdom to Israel. They understood the kingdom is the Lord's and the Lord will be glorified in Israel. And so they're, okay, this is when it all happens now. Is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Christ didn't say, what are you talking about? He just said, it's not for you to know the time. That is exactly what's going to happen. The prophecies are true. It's just not for you to know when God, the Father, is going to bring all of this about. But certainly the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. Back to Isaiah 49. For your waste and your desolate places and the land of your destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. And they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. So all of these enemies that were destroying you, they're out of the picture now. And now he says that this land that was laid waste, this land that was desolate, and the abomination of desolation was set up and was completely destroyed, it's going to be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. So all of these children are going to be coming back to Israel with singing and joy and dancing and celebration. And there's going to be so many of them that they're going to be saying, it's not enough space for us. You're the children which you shall have after you have lost the other. So you, there is going to be slaughter. You are going to lose children, but you're going to have children as well. So the children which you shall have after you have lost the other shall say again in your ears, the place is too narrow for us. There's not enough space. You're going to have so many children. They're going to be saying to you, there's not enough space. The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. This is, this is unbelievable. This, this, this is the good news. This is the message that we have to bring to these people. Yes, it looks horrible. Yes, it looks hopeless. But your God has not forsaken you. Your God reigns. The kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. And the whole world is going to acknowledge that you are the people of God. And you're going to have, even though you're going to lose children, uh, and, and, and massive amounts, you're going to have other children. And you're going to have so many children, they're going to be complaining that they don't have enough space. Give place to me that I may dwell. And we see this, we'll see this when we get to Isaiah 60, but we, we read this already, we'll read it again. He says to Israel, lift up your eyes round about and see all they gather themselves together. They come to you. Who's coming to you? Your sons shall come from far and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. So even though you've lost children, they've been enslaved, they've been taken captive, they're coming back to you. And you're gonna have so many children, you're gonna wonder where did all these children come from? They come to you, your sons shall come from far and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. And we'll get into Isaiah 60 in a couple, in a few weeks, a couple of months, God willing. Back to Isaiah 49 verse 21. Then shall you say in your heart, who has begotten me these? Where, where did these children come from? Seeing I have lost my children. So I, I, I don't know what's going on here. I know that I lost my children. And yet look at all these children singing and dancing in the streets of Jerusalem. Then shall you say in your heart, Who has begotten me these? Seeing I have lost my children. And I'm desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro. So I'm just being dragged around. And who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? They're just stunned. Where did these children come from? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, 
I will lift up, lift up my hand to the Gentiles. I'll put a stop to what the Gentiles are doing to you. I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. So I'm going to set up a flag or a banner that says, this is Israel. These are my people. And they shall bring your sons. So these people are going to bring your sons to you. They shall bring your sons in their arms. And your daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. They're going to be so sorry for what they've done. And then instead of persecuting your sons and persecuting your daughters, they're actually going to transport them. They're going to bring them in, 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 in honor to you. They'll bring your sons in their arms and, their, and your daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. Look what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, bitter weeping. Why was there such bitter weeping? It was Rachel weeping for her children. Rahel weeping for her children. Refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. That is the level of slaughter that is coming upon these children. And yet Isaiah says it's not it's just for a short time because there's going to be joy in the streets of Jerusalem. Back to Isaiah 49. And kings shall be your nursing fathers. So you're going to have such honor on the earth that even the kings of the earth are going to be your nursing fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their face toward the earth. And that certainly was a custom in the past that when kings conquered other kings, those kings had to, the, the conquered kings had to bow down in front of the triumphant king. And God is saying that these kings of the earth, they're going to bow down to you with their face toward the earth and they shall lick up the dust of your feet. God is going to, this, we have to read this carefully. This is how passionate God is about restoring his people, Israel. We want to say that God has forsaken Israel. God forbid. God forbid that we should say, oh yeah, Israel, that's over. We're the new Israel. God has replaced them. God says he will not give his glory to another. He's going to be glorified in Israel. He's going to be glorified in Judah. And all the kings of the earth are going to know that God is the God of Israel. And so he says, these kings are going to come and they're going to bow down their face toward the earth and they shall lick up the dust of your feet. And you shall know, you Israel will know that I am the Lord. So, so the Gentiles are going to know, but God wants Israel to know that he is the Lord. For they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And this is our job, is to, to tell the, the Israelites, to tell the, the Jews that your God reigns and you need to wait for him. You need to wait on him. You need to look to the scriptures and believe the scriptures, believe the prophets, believe your God and trust him and wait for him. And you will not be ashamed. And back to Isaiah 60, you shall also suck the milk of the Gentiles. That is all the wealth of the Gentiles is gonna flow to you. And you shall suck the breast of kings and you shall know that I the Lord am your savior and your redeemer the mighty one of jacob it's so important that god to god that these people know that he is their god he's the mighty one of jacob he's the holy one of israel forever he will be associated with israel this is why i was thinking the other day that uh, the great psalmist david 
he understood, he said to, to, to God, your mercy endures forever. The reason I believe God's mercy endures forever is because Israel endures forever. God is going to be the God of Israel forever. And so that demonstrates that his mercy, these are people that should have been wiped out. These are people that should have been fully destroyed. But he's had mercy upon them and he will be glorified in them forever. And so the great psalmist could say, your mercy endures forever. You shall know, you Israel, you Judah, shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. So Isaiah is very clear here that salvation is not generic. Salvation is tied to Israel. Redemption is tied to Israel. God is going to save the whole world through Israel. He's the mighty one of Jacob. Here in Psalms 86, David writes, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you. The whole earth will be set right. And despite Adam's horrible, unconscionable sin, God has moved to bring the earth back into union with him. And all nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And again, he says he will be glorified in Israel. For the Lord, here in Psalm 89, verse 18, the Lord is our defense. This, this is David realizes this, and this is what we have to get the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to realize that the Lord is their defense. The Lord is our defense and the Holy One of Israel. Did you notice that? He's the Holy One of Israel. That's who he is. The Holy One of Israel. <clears throat> he, the Lord is the defense of Israel and he is the Holy One of Israel. And that's who the King of Israel is. The Holy One of Israel. God is not a generic God. He is a God that is married and covenanted with Israel. Back to chapter 49. He says here, interesting uh, concept that God wants Israel to consider. He says, shall the prey be taken from the mighty? So, so let's say a lion takes down some prey. Who is going to volunteer to go and retrieve the prey from this mighty lion? So God asked the question, shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? So how is this going to work? Who is going to take the captive away from the powerful? Who's going to take the prey from the mighty? But thus says the Lord, even the captives, that is the slaves of the mighty shall be taken away. These are going to be, these are going to be so powerful. They're going to be so glorious. They're going to be so uh, proud of their power and their ability to enslave souls. But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away from them. And the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. And that's how God refers to them. They are terrible. He says uh, through Habakkuk uh, chapter 1 that, that he's raising up this terrible nation, the, the, the Chaldeans. They're terrible. But this prey will be will be delivered from them. Why? For I will I personally, God is saying, I will contend with him that contends with you, and I will save your children. This is the salvation. This is what God is going to do when he returns. He's going to contend, he's going to have a controversy 
an argument, a fight, a battle, a war with those that contend with Israel and with Judah. I will contend with him that contends with you, and I personally will save your children. And that's we have to remember what Zechariah said. He says in Zechariah 2.8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, after the glory has he sent me unto the nations, which spoiled you, for he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. And warning, 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 warning. Any nation, any king, any leader that is foolish enough to subjugate God's people, woe unto you. Woe unto you because he that touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye. And that's what God is telling us here, that he's going to contend with these people and he's going to save the children of Israel. In Isaiah 25 verse 9 he says, And it shall be said in that day, so this is future, it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. And the reason it will be said is somebody has been telling them, Your God reigns. Your God will save you. And they have accepted that message, and they have been waiting for him. And when he returns, they'll say, This is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. These same people, as in Revelation chapter 1, he, he shows us that he, he's coming with the clouds. And, and, and all eyes will see him, and they that pierced him. But all kindreds of the earth will wail because of him. It's going to be a horrible day for them. It's not good news. But it's good news for those that pierced him, because they're going to acknowledge him. And that's why he said in Matthew 23, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now they're saying it. Oh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. They acknowledge him. We have waited for him. And he will save us. They, they are unable to save themselves. But this God, so right now, I mean, Israel's a powerful nation. And you've got all these horrible, uh, these enemies of Israel all around them with horrible intentions. And yet Israel's able to withstand them because of the power that they have. But that's coming to an end. And a lot of their power really depends on America. So once America goes down, they're just left stranded in the middle of this sea of enemies. And they have no one to save them, and all their allies will forsake them. Uh, but now they acknowledge that God is the one that can save them. This is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. And waited meaning they're waiting faithfully. They're reading the scriptures. They understand the scriptures, and they're waiting for him to fulfill his word. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is not a generic salvation. He's coming to save his people. And they come to realize this. And, and they're acknowledging that this is our God. In Isaiah 8 verse 17 he says, And I will wait upon the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. So, so Isaiah understands that this is a temporary thing, that he's withdrawn himself from the house of Israel, and he's withdrawn himself from the house of Judah, so that they can be punished. But he's not going to make a full end of them. He will appear for their redemption and for their salvation. Verse uh, 26, <clears throat> he says, And I will feed them that oppress you. Wow, this is, this is some heavy, heavy language. He says, I will feed them that oppress you with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with 
their own blood. This is how God feels about the enemies of Judah. This is how God feels about the enemies of Israel. And this is the message that we must bring. And this is why uh, Matthew uh, 24, Jesus says, you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake, because we're going to be publishing that God is the God of Israel, that God is the Holy One of Israel, that God is the Mighty One of Jacob, and that this is the fate of all those that go up against the God of Israel, all those that persecute the apple of his eye. And so this is going to cause great hatred, but it's the truth, and it must be preached. And so, you know, the consequence of going up against the apple of God's eye is that the God, the cre although you seem very powerful today, the Creator says, I will feed them that oppress Israel with their own flesh. This is what's going to happen. And they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. It's, it's like they just can't get enough of it. That's what's going to happen to them. And all flesh shall know. This is something that the controversy is over. Which God is God? Who, who is God? Which, what's the real God? Well, God's saying, I'm going to act in such a way that the whole human race will know that I, the Lord, I'm the Savior and the Redeemer of Israel. This is what I'm just reading the text. That God wants the whole earth to know this whole replacement theology that, that the uh, Christian world has come up with, this whole replacement theology that the Islamic world has come up with, this atheistic ideology that says there is no God at all, everybody is going to be corrected and it's going to be a painful correction. The whole earth will know that there is a God and that this God has a very special relationship with a specific people, the houses of Israel and Judah. And so all flesh will know that I, the Lord, the creator of the universe, I'm your savior and your redeemer the mighty one of Jacob. And this is what we mean by the gospel. This is the good news. This is the salvation that we must proclaim, that God is the mighty one of Jacob, and he's the redeemer, and he's the savior of Jacob. And so this is how this whole uh, passage of Second Isaiah begins, with comfort you, comfort you, my people. Who are his people? He tells us. He is the Redeemer and the Savior of Israel. He's the Mighty One of Jacob. Jacob are his people. He says this is going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it because salvation is exclusive to Jacob. So we must comfort. Comfort his people, says your God. So, so somebody, God is telling us to comfort his people. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the target. There is a full out, or there's going to be. It's developing now, as as you know, as I'm speaking to you now, it's happening every day. It's growing. There's a full on hatred building towards Jerusalem, but we must speak comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So this is the end of the matter. Uh, this is the pattern. We understand it now. We've unpacked the prophecies. And there's a pattern according to the terms and conditions of the covenant. So Israel and Judah have to be punished. 
but then God is coming to redeem Jacob. And he's raising up a people to proclaim this truth, to continue what he began in the Gospels of Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that that work continued with Acts. And that, that mighty work that we see in the book of Acts must continue until he returns. And so while all of this is taking shape, somebody has to be reading the scriptures, understanding the will of God, proclaiming the will of God, and proclaiming this good news as a witness to all nations, but to also ensure that Jerusalem understands God will act, God will save, and we say unto the cities of Judah, your God will